Welcome to the Lead Me On podcast, where we give you practical solutions for extraordinary leadership. My name is Lori King-Taylor, and I'm here with my co-host, Lori Gorell. For more than 25 years, we've been educating and coaching individuals who want to transform the way they lead. Join us each week as we provide inspiring conversations to help you increase your capability to lead with greater impact and influence. Get ready. It's time to lead me on. Hello, Lori Gorell. Hello, Lori King-Taylor. How are you today? I am doing well. Just a little tired today working on papers for school. So spending a few extra evening hours working. And, you know, I think we even talked in one of our episodes when, when we're tired, it is such an opportunity for growth. (laughs) Now we manage ourselves when we're tired. Yeah, it is. And I had to really manage myself this morning. I let my husband kind of look over my paper and give me some feedback. And his feedback was, it looks great, except you need to beef up the conclusion. It looks like it just ended. (laughs) I was like, that's because I was done. (laughs) (laughs) So um, how are you doing today? I am fantastic. And I'm even extra fantastic because our special guest is Eric Johnson who is a new and I am sure to be longtime friend of mine. Eric is the principal owner of Insighted and his company highlights insight and inclusion to achieve diversity, equity, inclusion in an organization. They are masters at helping clients navigate their DEI culture shift by helping them to see what they otherwise couldn't as they begin the daunting task of addressing issues such as age, gender, gender identity, sexism, race, racism, bias, socioeconomic status, LGBTQ+, diverse candidate retention, and disability. And these are important topics. And I have recruited Eric to even come into one of my client organizations to do his masterful work. So I'm excited to have Eric here today. I am really excited, Eric. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I just want to jump in with a question. Eric, why does diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives so often fail in organizations? First, before I answer that question, I just want to say thank you for having me. (laughs) It's really, you said all those nice things about me in the beginning, and I want to say thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with you guys. But to go back to your question, they fail for a few different reasons. I think that sometimes diversity, equity, and inclusion to certain organizations just means we need somebody other to be represented in specific levels. So what ends up happening is they hire a person of color or they hire a female for a specific position, take their picture, stick it on a website. And that's done. We're done with our, our DEI initiative. But there's so much more, as, as you heard in, the, in, in Lori's opening, about what's involved in making and, and helping people to feel included and as though they belong. And for people who don't know DEI, even if we say diversity, equity, and inclusion, they may not still get it. What is a way that we can express simply 
but a little bit more fully what that means. One of the things that people say when they think about diversity is that that's when everybody's invited to the party. And I'm sure you've heard that before, right? Equity means everybody has the opportunity to dance while they're at the party. And inclusion means everyone gets to contribute to the playlist. That's been said a lot of different ways. I think it's helpful to be able to just kind of simplify it like that so that you kind of know where to start and how to start thinking about it. So when we talk about DEI, and I know it's become a a very large initiative. I think we've been trying off and on over the years, but I think we're getting a little more serious about it these days. Why do you believe that it's so important to the bottom line of an organization? I think that we were talking a little bit earlier about another subject, uh, emotional intelligence, and that that has been around for a long time, right? We, especially people like us coaching or in the HR space, we know what emotional intelligence is. It's been around for 20 years, but it's a slow rollout for those that aren't in that space. There's still lots and lots of people that don't know what that is. And it's the same with diversity, equity, and inclusion. Just now, even though this has been something that's uh, the country and the workplace is becoming, has been becoming more and more diverse as the years have gone on. But now there's data behind it to really show where the impact is when companies are more diverse. So, and there's new considerations for companies that are continuing to try to innovate and grow. They really do want increased employee engagement. They want the people that they have to be more equipped to make powerful decisions and to collaborate with each other. And ultimately that affects their financial performance. There's many, many studies out there that show that diverse companies are more likely, they can increase their profit of their financial performance by up to 35%. And so now with these numbers and this data coming out, companies want to stay relevant. They want to become the employer of choice. They want to innovate and grow, and they want to maximize their people that are already in their organization so that they can drive those numbers. 35%. 35%. You throw numbers out and I'm all ears. (laughs) (laughs) We like numbers. We like like numbers. Okay, good. Because I got lots of them here for you. Yeah. It really helps us tell a story to the leaders we work with about the importance and the value of paying attention here. And 35% is significant, 5% significant, significant, but 35 is huge. Yeah. So I'll give you some numbers just so we have those kind of as a baseline. This first report is about financial performance. Ethnically diverse companies are 35% more likely to have financial returns above their respective national industry medians. Uh, Gender diverse companies are 15% more likely to outperform their national industry medians. That's pretty huge. But the numbers get bigger, even though financial performance, 35%, 15%, based on what we just discussed, is significant, especially if you're making millions and millions of dollars already. Other numbers to consider, especially during the great resignation, which we all live in, that is becoming a big, big issue for companies. People just aren't staying and they're moving on. So it's important for companies to become employers of choice. 67% of job seekers view a diverse workforce as an important factor when evaluating companies and considering job offers. So people do want a diverse environment to grow in and to learn in and to perform in. Innovation and growth, diverse companies are 70% likelier to capture a new market, which is huge. 
especially if you're bringing lots and lots of new products to market or new services. They're also 45% more likely to report increased market share year over year. As far as employee engagement, 83% of millennials are reporting being actively engaged when they believe their organization fosters an inclusive workplace culture. 83%. This is huge. And, and we will post the links to this data. I think this is really relevant and it, it backs up everything that we're talking about today. But I think it takes me to the question of how do you measure something as seemingly intangible as, as DEI, right? You have all these numbers, we have these statistics, but if I were talking to one of my client organizations, how do I help them get their heads around measuring DEI? Yeah, it's a really good question. With the work that we do, we do spend a lot of time understanding what diversity, equity, and inclusion really does mean to that particular organization and what they want it to mean. And then we help them to see where they are now as far as diversity, equity, and inclusion is concerned. And we do that through a couple of ways. We do what we call a work culture analysis that just really goes into the, the meat. We, we do surveys, we do observations, we do interviews, we do reviews of their policies and procedures to see how they're commuting inwardly and outwardly. And we show them, this is what you're saying about diversity, equity, and inclusion in your organization right now. Then what we do on the back end of that is identify some pain points and then start to address those. On the back end of the pain points, we have data already about the employees themselves, basic things like age, race, education, things like that. Then what we do is once we have that data, and you can use several different softwares to do that, we marry it with a software that is designed to address how people are feeling about the initiatives and the, and the workshops that we're putting in place as they're going through them. So it's real-time data that really talks to how, how are the employees feeling, how is it that they grow, and what, is, what do they need to help them to perform better. So Eric, I have a question. I, I can't imagine leadership not being on board for this kind of initiative, but what happens when the executive leadership is not on board with the DEI initiatives and what can we do to help? You mentioned that I do inclusion coaching. I have called it inclusion coaching very specifically because it really is designed to help figure out why people at the executive leadership team, especially with all the numbers we just threw out, wouldn't be on board with diversity, equity, and inclusion. And what inclusion coaching really is designed to do is just give the people in power, the people in leadership, the space to understand their truth when it comes to the topic, any privilege that they might have by being part of the executive team and how they feel about all of what they've learned without telling them how they should feel. So that is what inclusion coaching is. That is for anybody that is resistant to the initiatives for whatever reason, there's always a reason. And we dig around in there to find out what that might be. So do you go into details with the executive leadership about what potential pitfalls could be in ignoring DEI? Yes, absolutely. Typically, I don't have to spend a lot of time doing that because if I'm there, they know that <laughs> diversity, equity, and inclusion is something that they really need to work on uh, or something that they really want to get in front of as far as what corporations in the national space are doing and why they're jumping on the bandwagon to make sure that, that their companies are, I don't want to say diversity, equity, and inclusion compliant, but that there has been some effort put forth into making sure that they're addressing that so that their employees can feel included and as though they belong. 
And I think it's showing up. I've seen some employee surveys and I recognize that the leader was really having a difficult time with the results around the diversity, equity, and inclusion results. And she thought that they were progressive and she had this perception of what they were doing and that it was all in the right direction. But the employees, their input into it was she painted a different picture. And it was really a struggle for her to come to terms with. So in coaching someone like her, when there is that disparate viewpoint, what would you help them with? As I was listening to you to describe that, that's pretty common, right? But I think one of the things that I try to get people to remember or organizations to remember is that most companies that are just starting into the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, their employees are not bringing 100% of themselves to work. In other words, you are only seeing what they want you to see right now, but there's so much more underneath the surface. So it's common and easy for you to have a perception of feeling progressive, of feeling that we do have an inclusive and diverse space. And that's really what we're trying to do is facilitate a conversation where a person can be 100% honest with the organization, with themselves, so that they, they can get a more balanced view of where they are as it relates to this subject. What are the keys to a successful DEI program? Like I said, you just want, you want to listen to what your work culture is saying about diversity, equity, and inclusion now and formulate communication on what you like it to say. That's the first part, getting clear as an organization on what it is. Then when you educate yourself and your staff on areas involving gender, race, age, sexual orientation, bias, disability, I think that there's opportunity there for deep work to learn about your own biases and why they exist and for it to be okay for you to have bias because we all have it. But what is really helpful when you're trying to create a successful diversity, equity, and inclusion program is that you understand what those are and how they might be influencing your decisions. I think the next thing would be accountability from all employees and their words and actions. And there's several different ways to create accountability throughout the organization. It definitely helps when that accountability starts at the top and trickles down. That is the most impactful in these programs. And I think the last part would be partnership through mentorship and or leadership support and participation in things like female and minority affinity groups. Partnering is huge, especially when you want a more diverse conversation to continue. I call it LEAP, L-E-A-P. Listen to what your work culture is saying, educate yourself about your staff and areas involving all these different areas of diversity, accountability from all employees, and partnership through mentoring and participation in these things. I love that. I can remember LEAP. Yeah. (laughs) And one of the things that you said, Eric, is uncovering the biases. And what I want to acknowledge is how easy you make that, because it can be pretty scary to start having these conversations and being willing to look at our own biases or admit our biases to someone else, even if we do know them. I know that I was able to throw a couple of of things out at you in one of our, our previous conversations, and you just made it safe. It was okay. And to have the questions, to have the uncertainty, and you just made it a, a very nice environment 
And I am anticipating that's what you provide to all of your, your clients is that safe space and bringing that out for people. Yeah, I think that's what I try to do. That's how I try to, to run the programs and any of the, and any of the interactions that I have with the employees or the leadership that is my goal is really to have honest and open conversations where people are safe to say whatever they want on the subject, because that's when we start to get somewhere. It's when people are honest with themselves and honest with each other. And there's a communication and a vocabulary around all of it. That is in contrast to, I had a, a client say to me, I need somebody to do a DEI class to put fear into this part of our company. And I am thinking that your approach, and by the way, I did not provide that person with somebody to, to put fear in the organization, but I, yeah, and I'm, but I'm pretty sure Eric, your approach is going to get better results than trying to put fear into the minds of the people within an organization. Yeah. The other thing is people have enough fear in their lives. It's not, I mean, you don't need to come to work to add to that. This is why there are so many coaches on this call right now. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Because we really are trying to help navigate people around those quote unquote fears and barriers to the, to the things that they really want. And it's no different in diversity, equity, and inclusion and in inclusion coaching, doing the same thing, talking specifically to the person about, well, what keeps you up at night? And reminding them that it's okay that that exists, especially now that you know it's there. Well, I can see how incredibly valuable this work is and needed. And for me, I would make it mandatory, but I know that you have said mandatory doesn't necessarily work. I think mandatory can work. I just think that usually it's rolled out like any of the other like ethics training or sexual harassment training or any of the trainings that you have to do to make sure that your company has met their insurance requirements for being able to say that they train X amount of employees. You can lump diversity, equity, and inclusion into a bucket like that if you'd like, but um, really the magic happens in the space when you can really sit down and have con meaningful conversations with people. And online programs typically don't do that. Um, I haven't seen one that really engages the employees and gets them talking virtually yet. I'm always thinking about how to make that happen. But, <laughs> but uh, the, real, the real magic is in being in a room with people that are finally feeling safe to start to have uncomfortable conversations about things they've probably been thinking about for multiple years. And especially when you're in a group setting and somebody hears something that has been on their heart as well, that is magic because that energy feeds off each other. And there's nothing really like it that I've experienced online available to employees. So having them, I mean, if mandatory online type work really is, you, you get a lower percentage of engagement with it because people just feel like it's another thing on their checklist that they got to get off. I mean, we've all been there where we work with corporations and you have to get this training done by X date or your supervisor or manager or manager's manager is bugging you saying, why isn't it done? Why isn't it done? I see that yours is not complete. <laughs> yeah. And that is the exact opposite of why for, for something like diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
you want a person to want to be there if at all possible, because it really is about everybody feeling included and as though they belong. And that shouldn't be something that's something that's on a task list for them. Cause it's really talking about how is it that you can bring your whole self to work if you choose to, how can, how can you feel safe? How can you feel as though you belong? How can you feel as though you're heard? And what is your performance going to look like on the back end of that? Right. And that is not something you can do in a PowerPoint. It's just not. Yeah. It takes conversation. Absolutely. And you guys do disc training and, you know, other things like that. You know what you know about communication. You understand that getting people to see their differences and getting people to understand themselves a little bit more and their communication styles is key. And this is no different. I love how you brought that back in that we love to do disc, but you're right. It, it does when differences can be looked at in the moment in person and, and say, have that revelation together is yeah. pretty, can be pretty powerful. Yeah. So Eric, this has been great conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but Lori, are you ready for some practical solutions for <sighs> extraordinary leadership? I am indeed. I'm thinking that the first one I would give is diverse candidates stay when they feel as though they are heard, appreciated, and that they belong. Absolutely. And diversity and equity and inclusion is a culture shift, and it must be adjusted towards the inclusion in both inward and outward facing communication. And finally, diversity, equity, and inclusion has the power to increase an organization's financial returns by up to 35%. I'm still back on my numbers again. And their innovation and growth by up to 70%, their engagement up to 80%, and their ability to attract top talent by 67%. My gosh, the numbers are growing. And their team decision-making improves by 87%. These are some fantastic pieces of information for our leaders. And I am excited for our listeners to have this and for them to have your resources that you're going to provide to us. And if there are any books that you recommend that would even start getting some uh, intrepid leaders inching toward doing this good work, uh, we will absolutely include those two in our notes so our listeners have those as resources as well. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I do have a book list that I've been working on. You can do DEI light if you like, or you can go deep into all of the uh, underneath and learn about specific groups if you want. It's a pretty comprehensive list. So I'll send that over so you can take a look at it. And I just want to thank you for the time to be able to talk to you guys about this subject. It is something that feels a bit intangible, but it can be very, very tangible. And the impact is, I mean, you, you, you heard the numbers. so. I, I thank you. And I really do appreciate the time. And I thank you. And thank you for being a, a go-to person for me and making it safe. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us today, Lori. I look forward to being back with you again next week. Until then. Thank you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, we would so appreciate a review on iTunes. 
And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. If you're interested in knowing more about our upcoming events or working with one of us personally to transform the way you lead, visit our websites. For Lori King-Taylor, visit trinityperformancesolutions.com. And for Lori Gorell, visit upwardsolutionscc.com. Until next week.